Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh, and this is episode number 77. This week on the episode, I've got a conversation with Alexa Joan Ray, better known as Plexiglass. Um, just had an awesome time talking with with them and kind of going over everything, you know. They're a relatively new artist um, that's getting a lot more traction due to their new singles, the sound that they're kind of creating, and, and you know, I've been getting away from the genre thing for a while, um, but with Plexiglass, I think it's true. Like, they don't really fit in any one genre box, you know. They are kind of morphing these dark pop, pop kind of soundscape-y, ethereal sounds. Um, you know, some of it's kind of dark and ominous, and others are, you know, more synth vibey and whatnot. But the cool thing about it is they are unapologetically themselves throughout this entire process. They are really finding themselves and the sound that they want to produce and all of that. Um, so we had a great talk about that. Uh, they recently were featured on Mike Shinoda's Twitch channel while he actually did the production of one of their tracks, um, which is just insane to say, you know, like it's fucking Mike Shinoda. Um, and, we actually talk about that during this conversation a little bit, but it's it's fucking Mike Shinoda producing a, a track for someone that is, again, relatively new to the music scene and maybe not somebody that, you know, a lot of people would put in that same realm or that same genre style or anything like that. Um, and we had just such a good conversation about that. Um, and yeah, I, I really want you guys to, to dig this episode. So I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, please, you know, listen to the whole episode. It was such a good conversation and let's dive in to my conversation with plexiglass. So basically what I wanted to do, um, I do kick off with the same boring ass question every time. And that's mm -hmm. simply the introduction. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself to fans, let them know, you know, who you are and just a little background on yourself musically. Sure. Um, my name is Alexa Joan Ray. I front a project called Plexiglass. Um, it is like dark pop, alt pop. Um, and I've been putting out music under that project since 2016. Um, so it's been, it's been a journey. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, obviously in the music industry, four years is not a long time, but it's not like you're, you're brand new to the music industry or the music scene either. Um, tell fans a little bit about kind of the, progression, I guess, of this project, because it, it's always kind of been the same sound, but it's definitely been evolving over the last two, three years top. Yeah, sure. Um, so my first two songs um, that I put out, and I, 
I actually should start off by saying I actually I I work with a producer. His name is Kevin Billingsley, um, and he's in Portland, Maine, actually, and I'm in LA. So I actually fly out there whenever um, you know I'm ready to get in the studio, and you know I'm not rich. It takes it takes money to like you know fly from uh, LA to Maine. For sure. Um, <laughs> And so I sort of think of my releases in terms of like, like which songs I recorded for which visit. So the first two songs um, that I went out there for lament on root and liar, um, those songs um, really were like a very good intro to um, who I am as an artist and definitely shaped my sound. Um, definitely very inspired by artists um, like uh, Lord, Florence and the Machine, um, some Bonnie there and there. Um, and uh, then the second sort of wave was three songs. It's Anathema, Dead-Eyed Monsters, and Resist. And I feel like those actually like are almost like separate from everything else. Um, they, they were, they were very experimental for me. Um, I don't ever regret art that I put out. I think, you know, it was my truth at the time. Um, but they are definitely different than anything I did, you know, before and, and after, um, I did two music videos um, with that cycle. Um, I did a music video for Dead-Eyed Monsters and Anathema. Um, I directed those. Um, I came up with the concepts myself. Um, and it, that was a really, really good experience. I sort of found that I loved to do that, that that's one of my favorite parts of this whole thing is creating those visuals um, to go along with the tracks. Um, and then I went back out, um, and I recorded pinch me, um, DYD, and then, um, a song that's yet to come out called tall. Um, and those three songs honestly could live on an album with lament and liar. Um, and they might even, we might actually do that. Um, we're talking about it. So it's, it is, it, it, it is fun to look back on, on my discography if you will as a whole and just sort of reflect and sort of think about um the the phases I went through um as a person and as an artist because there's not a lot of like uh there's not a lot removed from me as an artist and me as a person it's it's all it's all pretty much the same I don't really have like a persona or anything like that so the thing I think you know, a lot of casual fans, I guess, is the way I want to word this, that they don't necessarily think about is, you know, you said you don't necessarily regret any any music that you've ever put out. Um, and I'm not saying that you should by any means, but I think what people don't realize is as you grow as a person and an artist, that connection to those songs just fades away a little bit because you don't relate in that same way anymore. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And like, if you think about just, you know, I, I put out 
lament en route in 2016 and and now I'm 30, you know, and the growth from 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 who I was as a person to now is it's tremendous. It's like it's like if I think about, you know, would I would I feel comfortable dating someone who's like 24? I'd be like, absolutely not. We're like worlds away from one another. And that that's sort of similar. You know what I mean? You know, it it kind of translates, you know, as a music fan myself, obviously we all make connections to songs and and certain parts of an artist's journey and it's like we always want them to play those songs but you have to understand like there's a reason that they don't play those songs sometimes and it's because that connection's gone and it's like yeah i can get on stage and perform this but if i'm not feeling it am i gonna perform it the way that you want to hear it sure yeah um i think i think i do feel lucky i i do still feel very strongly about um, Laments on Root and Liar, um, because they really were just like, I, I think I'll always have a soft spot for those because they were like my first babies and they were the songs that really like had me go, Oh yeah. Like it clicked into place. Like, this is who I am. This is who I am as an artist. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think like, I don't think I'll ever, unless, you know, there's something crazy. I don't think I'll ever play dead-eyed monsters out of show again i don't think i'll ever play resist out of show again i just i don't i don't connect to it anymore yeah exactly uh, it, i've talked to other artists when we talk about like performing a cover that's one thing because there's still some sort of connection to that song um yeah, yeah you're just going up and being the showman quote unquote but when it's your own music and you don't connect to it anymore it almost I don't want to say it feels bitter, but it does to some extent. It's this like, I know you guys want to hear it, so I'll play it. It's kind of begrudging, right? Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I wish it wasn't like that, but yeah, I, I have like, like talked to like my manager a couple of times about like, Hey, do you think I should like take these songs down? Like they just like sonically, like they don't fit with everything else. And like, every time he's like, no, like, don't just leave it. Like it's fine. But no, it's true. Like I do sort of some of those older songs from that, I guess it's like 2017 to 2018 era. I'm just like, Ugh, it's like almost cringy. Um, sometimes I try not to be like that with myself. I really do. I try to like do the whole kumbaya. That was my truth at the time thing. And I do feel that way most of the time, but I digress. <laughs> and I think it's that thing where for lack of a, a better analogy, I guess it's a snapshot of that moment, right? Like instead of being a picture, it's a, it's a musical snapshot of this is what I went through. This is who I was at that time. And, you know, there's so many bands. I bring them up far too often on my podcast, especially since I haven't got to interview them. Uh, but bring me the horizon, right? Like every single yeah. album that they do is so much different than the one before. But if you look back across their history, it's like, that's who they were in those moments. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I, I, as a fan, I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm a fan who's also a musician. Um, 
So maybe I'm able to sort of like consider those things that maybe, like you said, like not the, not the casual fan, but maybe like the, the everyday music listener who doesn't really know anything about the industry or what it means to, to be a musician. Um, they wouldn't really think about, you know, Oh, you know, this song sounds different because of X, Y, Z. Um, and I, I actually like when, um, artists take chances like that and, and decide to reinvent themselves. Um, it's, and, and it does inspire me to not be so judgmental about how I've changed or, um, you know, songs that I may not be as connected to anymore. You know, not to, to dog on music fans at all, but like, it's almost unfair to expect your your favorite artist, especially, to never change from the sound that you discovered them on or whatever you connected to. Because, like, isn't the ultimate goal of life to grow up and, and mature and, you know, evolve as a person? So why wouldn't their music do the same thing as they got older? Exactly. Yes. You know, I, I think we really, like as a culture, um, as a people need to get more used to, um, normalizing the idea that like people change and people grow and like, that's okay. It's, it's not, it's not bad for people to change and evolve. Um, and it should be absolutely the same with musicians, but you're right. You know, time and time again, I think fans just get, too butthurt that you know trying to think of like follow boy follow boy is actually a really good example they're so different now and i think that um fans fans have been really awful for like their past two album cycles like let (laughs) let them do what they want to do they've paid their dues like my god if they want to like throw in some trap beats into their pop punk let them do it <laughs> like who cares Act ages but aren't pete and patrick both like in their 40s now or pushing 40 so it's like yeah. yeah they don't sound like teenage angst kids anymore exactly and like Especially Patrick. I mean, I've always admired him for his, like, as a songwriter um, in general. And yeah, I, I, I've just always really been nauseated at that fandom for not just allowing them. And like, like, really, guys, like, your scope is that small that you can't possibly find find anything that you like about it. You really are just hanging on to what was it? Corktree, their first big album. Come on. Yep. Yeah. And, and like, especially when it comes to someone like Patrick, like that dude's vocal range is insane. Can't you just appreciate his voice? Like he did that yeah. solo project and I'm going to forget what it was. It was him. And yeah. I think he only released one album. It was like soul funk or something like that is what it was called. And like, it's drastically different than fallout boy. Mm-hmm. And is it my favorite record? No. But can I appreciate what he's able to do lyrically and vocally? Absolutely. Yeah. I I feel like objectively um, appreciating art in that way is unfortunately kind of lost among like most fandoms. Um, And they really are. And I mean, I get it. You know, 
we're, you know, human beings are, are, um, creatures of nostalgia. We love, we love to run and, you know, music is such a, uh, you know, it's so visceral like that, you know, I, I can play songs. There are certain albums, especially before streaming, there are certain albums that, that just elicit very, very specific times in my life. Um, and, you know, I get wanting to hold on to that and I get, you know, but then listen to those albums that give you that feeling, create new feelings and memories for the new stuff. Yeah, it's, it's silly. It's silly. I love, I love fans. I love how rabid they are, but like sometimes I'm like, chill, chill, you guys. Over. Again, I guess I'm dogging on fans a little bit, but it's usually over the dumbest things, right? Like this new album for for Bring Me the Horizon, when they announced that they did a song with Baby Metal, people lost their mind over that. And it's like, but but why? What's it matter? Why? Yeah. Or like the song he did with um, Amy Lee on that album. People are like, oh, yeah. But but you guys were in a lawsuit years ago, yeah. So they grew up, like they found they a mutual it. ground. Yeah, like, yeah, that's that was silly. I did see a little bit of that with the Amy Lee collab, and like, come on, you know, she Evanescence is putting out new music. They're older now. Like, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me from like not even just like a music business standpoint, but like a human standpoint. Totally get that. We weren't involved in that situation when it happened, but like, okay, so they wronged each other. Fine. And this translates into normal life. Like what you were saying, like someone wronged you. Okay. Not okay, but you know what I mean? Um, sure. Yeah. At, at some point you have to understand, like they've changed and grown up too. Like, I'm not saying in every situation, because obviously there are some horrific things that happen to people, but like yeah, the average, like, Oh, this guy bullied me in high school. Like, we're I'm 36 now. I don't give a shit about the people from high school anymore. Like, if I pr- crossed them on the street, like, oh, hey man, how's it going? Like, it's no right. big deal anymore. Yeah, agreed. I I think I think the ability to let go and forgive, if if it warrants it, like you were saying, there are and it and it is so personal. But I think that's the point. Like, it is personal and they are well old enough to make that determination for themselves. If this is something they're able to, um, you know, move forward from. I said in the past, like on the personal side, obviously it plays into the music side too, but on the personal side, like forgiveness is, is really for you. You don't even have to tell that person that you forgive them. It's to me, forgiveness is just letting go of that thing. So it doesn't hold you back anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, sure. Like it's nice. It's nice to hear if you've wronged someone that they forgive you, but yeah, you're right. I think, I think a lot of that is a little bit, um, singular, uh, you know, by, by finding forgiveness, you're all, you're also giving yourself some peace about it too. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you've, been dropping new singles. Um, let's talk a little bit about Lilith and the ability or the opportunity you got to work with freaking Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park. 
Yeah, man, that was crazy. Um, so Lilith was a song that um, I'll tell you a little secret that I haven't told many people. Um, when when I submitted it to Mike, it was not finished, and I honestly, <laughs> I honestly sort of was just like, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's cool, it's never gonna happen. I'm not gonna stress about it. I'm just gonna put it out there so that you know who knows, maybe just, it'll get some traction on its own. Um, and then he followed me on TikTok. TikTok has honestly been a blessing for me. I'm not a big social media person. I've never, um, excelled at, um, self-promoting my music until TikTok. TikTok has actually been very kind to me and I have, um, found, uh, fans who are not just my family and friends for like the first time in my career, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and yeah, he added me on TikTok, which was really wild and reached out to me on there and said, Hey, I, I want to make this song. It's really fucking good. And, um, you know, I want to do it on Twitch live. And, um, so I said, yeah, of course, Mike should know that you can produce my song. Um, and just like my internal, like 12 or 13 year old was like, what is happening? Um, so flash forward to the day that he produces it on the channel. Um, Despite the fact that it's Mike freaking Shinoda, I, I was a little nervous, I have to admit, too, because I've been working with the same producer for everything, and I've grown very comfortable with him. He's a homie and and um, someone that I trust with my project. And, you know, Mike is ver very versatile. He's collaborated with, you know, tons of different types of artists and um but I was still a little scared. I was still, I was still a little scared just for the fact that I was like, Oh my God, like what if I don't like it? Then I have to tell Mike Shinoda that I don't like what he did with my song. Like, what will I do? Um, but no, he fucking killed it. He, um, is just so, he's just so good. It, like, I don't, I don't even know what else to say. He's just so, um, intuitive and like really thoroughly understands music like it doesn't it doesn't matter what style of music it is he gets it and he got automatically what I was trying to do with the track and um yeah he I I actually think it was and still might be his fastest produced song that he did on the channel it was just like um which was that was that was very nice. I it felt good. I was like, damn, that mean that means that it it the elements were all there. He just he just had to you know put his put his touch on it. So yeah, it's been a really really cool experience and just feeling very embraced by his fans who are all like the sweetest people you were you will ever meet in your life. Those those are fans that I will say get it. They're, they're like, whatever Mike does, they're on board. They don't care. It could be like, I hopped into his Twitch one day and he was like doing like 
something crazy with like like a sample from like a meme thing and they were like yeah this is a bop and i'm like damn like you guys just like it he could do anything and they would love it um which is really refreshing really really lovely um bunch of folks the uh, mike shinoda lincoln park stands and so yeah it's, it's been it's been a really cool experience you know correct me if i'm wrong but some of that kind of nervousness or fear comes from like you said hey it's your baby right and if i don't know how mike would fuck it up but if mike fucks it up like ooh. but at the same time like it's it's that raw exposure right like these are unpolished stems this is not in the right order yet necessarily you know we've we've got to layer stuff like how are people going to react to bare music versus polished yeah and like i think it was like for the first like hour or two dude like mark hoppus was watching it was really weird i was like i was watching the twitch and then all of a sudden all the comments were like oh hi mark hoppus hi mark hoppus and i was like what the fuck i was like what is happening right now this is like my childhood and it's it's just valid it's just very validating of course to even like have those people who i grew up listening to um and admiring say hey you have something here and like your music is worth me taking time to produce and like with mark office's case listen to it's just wild um i also think the the fear was also i, I think this is sort of what you were hinting at like definitely a little bit of imposter syndrome syndrome for sure like definitely me being like oh man what if he made a mistake like what, what if what if what if he mixed up that like what if it's not even me that he's trying to you know like stupid um stuff that mentally ill people think you know <laughs> like all the time um yeah just uh yeah <laughs> Within that, though, I mean, you're right. Imposter syndrome. It, I haven't talked to a musician yet that hasn't had some form of it at some point in their career. And I think it just goes because like, or it, you know, flares up because most artists write about their lives. And it's like, why is my life interesting enough for someone else to to want to be a part of it or mm -hmm. to to hang on to it? And like you said, like, it, it's fucking Mike Shinoda and Mark Hoppus. Like, yeah, we're talking industry kings when it comes to this. So to have them interested, it's like, okay, do, am I really onto something? Or like you said, did I, did I somehow sneak past the guards, if you will, into yeah. this forbidden castle? Um, I guess within that, even let's talk a little bit about not that you're seeking validation by any means, but, the the feeling that you get being kind of validated by you know mike and mark taking on obviously mark just in a listening capacity but still like to take time out of their day and you be the spotlight of it for that moment like how validating is it coming from within the industry like that yeah absolutely i'm so validating i i think that i think that especially now there are there are pros and cons to how the industry is set up right now right you know like 
if I, if I had been, you know, my age and, and starting this, you know, even, you know, 10 years before I did, I wouldn't have had the access that I do to self-distribute my music to major music streaming platforms, et cetera. Um, it, it would have been a lot more difficult for me to just get it made. I, you know, it would have had to be old school of just, you know, burning your own CDs for shows and, you know, all of that stuff. So, uh, you know, in that way, I think it's great. But because of the accessibility, there's such an oversaturation. And so I think that that oversaturation does make it harder to break through to like the higher tiered sections of the industry um, than it did maybe when like, you know, it, it wasn't so weird for people to just like walk into Columbia records and be like, here's my demo. You know, like you hear those old school stories from like, you know, um, like hair rock bands that just like walked waltzed in and were like, this is our demo. And then they got signed, you know, it doesn't really work like that anymore. Um, especially, um, any like agents or labels, they want you to do all of the legwork before they even consider you now. Um, so circling back, uh, connecting the dots. Um, so for these, these guys, um, uh, to, validate me like that and to like really honestly like take a chance on me um for lack of a better way of putting it and to just say you know what like it doesn't fucking matter how many followers this artist has it doesn't matter what their monthly listenership is their music is good and that's all i care about um it, it's it's nice it's, it's nice to know that there are people in the industry that think that way that aren't so caught up in all of the, the nonsense that, that comes with music and social media being so intertwined now. I want to touch on there is number one, you mentioned the oversaturation. I just had a conversation with an artist the other day and we looked up the stat every single day it comes out to an average of 60,000 songs that are pushed to Spotify alone. So, Holy you know, shit. Yeah, when, when you hear that number, it's like, how do I not get lost in the mud? You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's so much coming out. Um, it, it's insane. Number two, the thing that I think you, you mentioned that I think is really interesting is, you know, you say these, these guys, Mark and, and Mike, um, being, I think what it is, is that they remember being in your shoes. You know what I mean? Like they came up from virtually nothing in a harder time. You're right. Like, obviously when they were coming up, it was all about, you had to be on a major label. You had, if you wanted success in the long term, you had mm -hmm. to do these certain things. If you wanted radio play, major label was really about the only way you were going to get it, yeah. except for maybe your local station, like may pick you up. So right. like, I, I think the thing with them, and I think this is what you were saying too, is, you know, these guys are looking at it going, yeah, the Spotify numbers are cool and all, but that doesn't come until they get exposure. 
So like yeah. for art, for, for management and like record labels, like I understand that you want to see what my streams are, what, you know, where I'm trending well, whatever. And that's great. And I'll show you that, but I haven't had the exposure that I need yet. You know, like I need you sometimes I'm just as bad as you, I think, when it comes to self-promotion. Um, <laughs> I, I think my biggest flaw is I should be better at self-promotion. And it's maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome on myself. But like, I've only got so many resources. Whereas once you're signed to a label, like magically Spotify picks you up for all different playlists. And, you know, oh, there's all these not, different things. I know, I know, you know, it's not, but it's not magic. It's fucking money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I think, you know, the quote unquote average listener doesn't fully understand is, you know, like even today, like you said, you can push all your own music out. You can get everything self-promoted to some degree, but there is still such a hidden paywall mm -hmm. that, fans never really see and it's like the reason that your favorite artist maybe hasn't exploded yet is they can't afford to explode yet absolutely it's sort of that um juxtaposition and um and just uh nonsensical nature of you know you you have to it's what you said it's you have to have the numbers before you're considered by a label but in order to get the numbers you have to be on a it's that like weird um you know how how do you get it? it's it's um it reminds me because i i did uh try to be an actor before i did this i like went to college for theater and um to just act and it reminds me of what it takes to be a SAG member, what it takes to get your um your union card. It's you have to work on a union project, but to get hired on a union project you have to be union. It's that it's that same kind of bullshit. It's it's very gatekeepy. Um and yeah, to to have um Mike produce me and to have Mark give a shit to listen in is like, wow. And I think, and I think it speaks to them as people, you know, there's a lot of egos in the industry. There's a lot of egos with gatekeepers, if you will. Um, I think that's a lot of it. I think they don't want to, or refuse to remember what it was like to just be starting out and to just really just need just a, a chance, just somebody to just throw them a chance. Um, and it's, it's very, it's very nice to know that there are people like them out there. I think it goes into kind of within that, like, how do I get experience without having experience type thing? Right? Like, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've applied for a job and they're like, well, you need to, you know, a college degree. Fine. We can do that, but you need eight years experience. And it's like, this is an entry level job. How do I get eight years experience? If I don't, yeah. if I can't get the job, like if skills trade is the perfect example, like, Oh, mm -hmm. to be this electrician, you have to have 12 years of apprenticeship. Well, I can't get apprenticeship right. unless I'm part of the union, but I can't get in the union unless I have a job that says I can do it. Like where the fuck exactly. do I go? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and you and know, it, and it really can... is. It depends on the back door. I feel. I feel like it really just comes down to you happening upon someone who will open the door for you. A lot of people complain about the Grammys. I've looked into becoming a voting member for the Grammys, and like, it's kind of like the SAG thing. You have to, in order to become a voting member of the Grammy board, board, quote unquote, um, you have to have at least one other member that is a voting member write you a letter of recommendation. You have to have like, your publication has to be X number of years old. If it's a web publication, there has to be X number of viewership and stuff. And it's like, okay, but, wow. but some of that doesn't matter, right? Like, yeah. Who cares if another Grammy board member says that they think I should be on it? Like, yeah. if I've got everything else, why is one person able to stop me? It's that old boys club mentality. Um, so let's spin into uh, the new single, DYD, just dropped yeah. this last Friday, um, at the time of us recording this anyway. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the transition, I guess, and I guess maybe I'm not aware, was DYD recorded before Lilith or after Lilith? It was recorded before. Um, so I've actually been sitting on that one and then the next single upcoming next month tall for two years. Um, and I did that because like we've been talking about this whole time, um, you know, I, I knew that they were really good. I knew that they, I, I really, I really felt like they were a next level to where I wanted to be sonically. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I had the funds to hire a publicist and to, you know, properly market it in a way that was going to be productive. Um, so I really waited um, very impatiently. <laughs> My manager would tell you, <laughs> he would be like, gosh, just, just, just chill. Like I, I get it, but, but we got to wait. Um, and it was, it was working with Mike that made us go, okay, let's do it. Now's the time. Let's do it. Let's, let's ride this wave. Um, and let's see what happens. Real quick, let's touch on the whole publicist and having a team thing. Like, sure. Like we were saying earlier, obviously you can do a lot of that stuff yourself, but as a music journalist for as long as I've been one and I, I still read every single email myself, like, because I don't want to miss an opportunity, you know? Yeah. And I don't care whether somebody has a published or not because I remember, you know what I mean? Like, I know what it's like to start out. So I've taken chances on people that have had 500 streams because who knows, they could be the next Justin Bieber or whatever. Like, why would you hold somebody back when they just want an opportunity? But, but you are a I, rare bird. You are a yeah, rare I know. bird. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's what I wanted to go into next is that, you know, there's, I know of other music journalists that I've talked to that literally if it does not come from one of the publicists that they work with on the regular, it doesn't get opened. It doesn't get read like nothing. And it's like the odds of somebody just spam emailing you, especially when it's a, a pretty specific thing, like next to none. So if I can't take five minutes mm -hmm. out of my day to open an email and listen to a song, like when did I become holier than thou to some 
degree, I guess. Uh, yeah. But for you, you know, you've had to market yourself up until very recently, and now you've you've got the PR team behind you. How much of a, a relief and a pressure off of you is it to some degree as well? Because obviously it's still your art, so you want that control. But, um, you know, knowing the girls over at Big Picture, you're in great hands. So oh, yeah. what's it like, though, to, to finally get that moment to go, okay, I can just breathe. They're going to get me, you know, the interviews or the, the next publication. I'll, I'll do you one better. It's even, it's, it's nice to work with a peer team that's actually legit. I, I've worked, I have worked with in quotes publicists before who really, um, they tricked me. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it or they just, let me pause. I, I, I think, I think that also publicity is tricky. I think it's, it's tricky on their end too, because even if they do have established relationships with um, different publications, sometimes people will come back and be like, ah, they're not established enough for us. They're not, you know, X, Y, Z reason. So that might have played into my failed relationships with publicists in the past. Sure. But there was definitely some shady things involved with them too. So it is extremely relieving to work with a more reputable company like big picture who's been in the game for a really long time. They have these very long established relationships. Um, and it is a relief, you know, I was so sick and tired of, um, submit hub is really one of the only places that you can sort of try to do this and in, in a less tacky way than just cold emailing people, um, and, and actually get a response. Um, I should say, you know, you can cold email people all you want, but you, you do very rarely get a response. And so submit hub was, nice for a while in that sense where I was like, okay, well, at least I'm, I'm get getting a response. At least I know for sure people are listening to a portion of my song. Um, but it, it don't get exhausting. You know, I, I say to Kirsten, a big picture, um, all the time, like, like, I don't, I don't necessarily need to hear all the feedback. And she knows that, like, I don't necessarily need, like, I do want to know who's passing and why sometimes I don't, I don't need to hear all of them. Cause it, it does wear you down. It does, it does feel bad after a while. So it's nice to have it be in someone else's hands. Um, and I don't have to deal with it anymore. You know, to touch on this kind of quickly is, so often I've told people, even on the PR side, like me being a, a journalist, there's plenty of times that I reach out to the publicist and I'm like, Hey, I want to do coverage for this show. And you know, the guest list's too tight or whatever it is. I I've said the music industry and I would say the acting industry probably as well. Like you have to be prepared to live in the world of rejection if you want oh, yeah. to make it anywhere. And like, I hate to, I hate to say you have to grow tough skin or thick skin, but because like, obviously That's we don't true. want a bunch of robots walking around, but to some, right. yeah, you can't take it all personally. Like there's gotta be a business reason on why they're passing or whatever. Um, and I think it's interesting because, you know, the girls over at big picture, if I pass on something, I'll, I'll typically let them know, you know, Hey, 
just doesn't fit for what I'm wanting to do right now or yeah. whatever the case may be. And like, sometimes it's the, the dumbest little things. Like they want me to go to a show and Hey, I just can't get off work right now. You know, like, it's not that I don't yeah. want to help you out. I just have a day job that I can't go do that, you know, for, sure. um, but yeah, I, I think, I you, think have you know, to be a little, on the, you have to, you have to be a you have to be a little sick to be to be an artist and to experience this rejection over and over and over again and and like not quit. It, it's it 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 is it, you know I'm I'm bipolar too, but it is its own mental illness. I feel like being an artist like is its own psychosis. You know, I forget who it was that that told me, and obviously they probably fudged the numbers some, but they were telling me a story. It was an artist a, a few years back that literally they had went to 70, like 73 PR teams, management teams and all this. And like, we're shut down, we're shut down, we're shut down. And then number 74, they were just like, fuck it. What can they, they're just going to say no, like I might as well send it. And that was the one that opened the door for him to and eventually become a assigned artist and all that. And it's like that perseverance, you know, of if they would have stopped after 25 and just been done, mm -hmm. they never would have got to live their dream, uh, you know, and play music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it also has to do with too, like, you have to almost be a little psychic, right? Cause you have to almost, you have to almost anticipate where your genre is is going and you have to create music to suit not where it is now but where it's gonna be in like a year or two years down the line um so it, it is sort of that uh that foresight to to challenge yourself a little bit um so that yeah so that somebody will say oh hell yeah come on in <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a cra it's a crazy industry. It's a crazy career. I have I have chosen entirely <laughs> by my own volition. It's no one else's fault but mine. Absolutely, and I think that's a good way for us to tie it back into DYD because you said you yes. you sat on DYD for like two years. So like yeah, you know, at the time of recording it and after production and everything, obviously you heard that and went, "We're on to something." It's just now I have to wait like you said, impatiently, mm -hmm. but I have to wait for that moment where it's like, okay, let's throw this out. Cause it's ready. Um, yeah. and by it's ready, I don't mean the song. I mean, the industry, the listener is finally ready for what I have to offer. Um, mm -hmm. and you have to be, you know, confident in yourself. And that, that obviously can be hard for anyone to say, you know, I'm sitting on something that I really believe in, but mm -hmm. they're just not ready for it yet. Yeah, it's the totally the right balance of uh, confidence and self-deprecation. <laughs> it's it's just a little bit of both. Um, and you have an artist. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we finally got to that point. It was kind of starting to feel like I would never feel like it was the right time, um, and then I was just gonna sabo myself by just you know shitting it out with nothing. Um, you know, going against everything that I, you know, cut at other artists for doing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased, um, that, 
I was able to do it this year. We had, it's, it's so sad, you know, COVID screwed up a lot of things for a lot of people, but we even had like, like plans for a video, um, and, uh, Ford BYD that totally got scrapped because of COVID. Um, but we're going, we're going back to the drawing board on it. We are going to put out a video for it. It's just, it's not going to be what we originally thought, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy that it's out. It's relieving. It's sad too, because, you know, I did sit on it for so long. Um, uh, and it, I feel like it gets harder when, when it's just, it's just mine. It's safe when it's mine. And when I put it out, it's not just mine anymore. And that's, that's just the name of the game. That's just how it is. But that's something I've, I've brought up to artists before too, is like, like you said, when it's just sitting on your hard drive and your produ producer's hard drive and stuff like that, like it's safe. Nobody can judge me mm -hmm. about it. Nobody can say anything negative. Nobody, nobody else gets to experience it. So it's safe. But at the same time, like once it's released, obviously the, the concern is, are they going to like it? You know? And yeah. To some degree, I think you'll agree with this. To some degree, you have to be okay with maybe a good portion of people saying, eh, it's not for me, you know? It's not my thing, but, yeah. But through that, I think I talk a ton about authenticity and being true to your art. So that authenticity breeds the best fans because then the right people are connecting to it and saying, you know what? She's on to something. Let's let's see what else she has and, and move forward. Kind of like what you were saying about Mike's fans, you know, like the yeah. Lincoln park fans have been diehard since day one through every evolution of that band. And I think it's because they've always been authentic. They've always been true to what they wanted to do. And I think that's where you're at is obviously we, we all hope that it grows and expands, but I think your, your music, is authentic and raw to some extent you know what i mean like you you don't hide a lot behind your lyrics and your music yeah i don't i don't do a lot of like fancy analogies um for the most part most people can really pretty much discern um at least you know a good bit of, of what i'm talking about um and and i've i've always I've always known that those are the types of fans that I want to attract. The people that I want to listen to my music are the people that, that, um, you know, feel, feel like they don't quite fit in with the mainstream. And I know it's like funny cause I write pop music, but, um, but I think there's a place for people that, that don't quite, um, fit in to the, the standard, um, a pop listener within pop. And, and I think that's why there's been like a birth of all of these alt pop artists, um, within the past few years that have said, you know what, like pop is cool, but, but we're the kids of, you know, pop punk and, and we, we want to make pop music for our elder uh, millennial generation, um, that understands them a little bit more. You know, 
obviously your music's getting there too, but like a really good example of that would be Mod Sun with his new, you know, in flames with um, Avril Lavigne. Like that dude grew up pop punk. I remember seeing him on Warp Tour and stuff doing hip hop and whatnot. And now it's like, he's finally figured out this is where I want to be. And it is like, it's mainstream. But when you finally look at Mod Sun, it's like, oh, he's mainstream, but he's not the normal, you know, he's not a cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't fit in that normal box. And I think, you know, that's, again, the path that you're on is that this is pop music in the sense of, and one thing you'll find out about me, I hate using genres because they don't fit anymore, but um, (laughs) yeah, it's pop music in the sense that, you know, it, it is so relatable and it's, upbeat to some extent it could be played on the Mm -hmm. radio very easily but it's also got that alternative spin where it's not always a comfortable conversation that you're having through your music yeah yeah and like the the structures the song structures that i tend to gravitate towards aren't necessarily what your typical pop artist is writing either like you know, a lot of people feel like the bridge is dead and I'm like, no, <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to write all the bridges. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because, you know, I, I did go to school and take songwriting classes and, and I feel very attached to, um, I feel very attached to bridges. I have a lot of bridges in my music and I'm not, I'm not willing to give it up unless, unless it, you know, doesn't need it. There are songs I have out that don't have bridges, but yeah, I, I think, I think my goal is always that, you know, I, I do, I do, I do want to write something catchy, of course, you know, like every, every artist does consider, that kind of like earworm moment in their songs and what is that and and what's going to get stuck in people's heads. I do consider that. Um, but more than that, I, I make sure that the story I'm telling is going to connect to someone like me. I guess I'm kind of writing music for myself in a way, <laughs> but but it seems like there are more people like me, so it's working out. I think, you know, that's <laughs> the thing with art of any degree, you know, whether you're a, a painter, a singer, songwriter, or whatever it is, like, to some degree, that art is always going to be for yourself because yeah. you came up with the idea. You've You've had to mold it and you know arrange it and all that and then it's that moment of you know you put it out in the world and realize oh you know there's a thousand even just 10 people but you know like there's people that feel the same way i feel there's people that are relating to this i have to continue you know this progression and it becomes i think you know it becomes more i started this for me but now I'm carrying it on for everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, when you said like, even if it's just 10, I started thinking about, there was like something going around. I think it was like last summer where it was like, people were looking up like what physically their like 
followers, their number of followers looks like in a room together. Um, and I did, I did that with like my monthly listeners when they were at like, I don't know, like, like 1500 monthly listeners on Spotify. And I was like, Holy cow, man. Like, that's crazy. Like, like I've, I've never performed to that many people and to know that, that I am essentially performing to that many people every month is it's very humbling. It's very cool. So what does the rest of 2021 look like for you? Obviously, uh, you know, COVID restrictions are starting to loosen up in, in some areas and, you know, depending on what news station you follow, they're spiking in others, but yeah. what's the kind of the dream world for you for the remainder of the year? Obviously we want to get the DYD video, you know, formulated and put out. Mm-hmm. Um, are there plans to try to do some even local or regional tours or kind of what's that feel for you? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to get back out live. Um, I, I, I do have some anxiety about it, not even related to COVID just because, you know, I, I live in LA and the live scene out here in LA is probably, you know, a similar saturation problem to just Spotify in general. So it was always sort of a point of very high stress for me. Um, I love performing live. It's, you know, I have like a theater background, like it's like in me, like I love to perform in in physically in front of people. Um, but the stress of, are people going to show up? Um, you know, if, if it's a show where, you know, they want me to sell tickets in advance, am I going to be able to do that? You know, those kinds of things. Um, so yes, I want to do it. Um, it's just, uh, building up to it and ensuring that, you know, I, I do it. I do it in a way that's not going to be miserable and stressful. I'm definitely trying to look at the local festival circuit, those kinds of things. I don't, I don't know if I want to put myself through um, dive bars and like smaller venues again. It's, it's just depressing. It's just, it's not for me personally, it's not a good time. Um, uh, outside of live, um, we are, I am putting out an album. It started off as a six track EP and now it's evolved into maybe an eight track LP, which is kind of cool. Um, I think we're, we're probably going to like pepper in what all the fucking kids are doing these days and like re-release songs in an album context. Cause why not? Um, but yeah, it's um, exciting. One more single and then, yeah, putting out the record in September or around there is the plan. So one thing I wanted to touch on, hopefully there's some music promoters listening to this. Can we stop <laughs> putting that on the fucking bands? Like, yeah, I understand the you. concept behind it, but like your whole job as a music buyer and promoter is to sell tickets to a show and put together a show that people want to go to. It should not be on the artist to go to their friends and family or whatever and be like, Hey, I have to sell a hundred tickets. Can you guys buy them from me? Like that's such a bullshit way around that. It's horrible. Thank you. You said it. Thank you for saying it. Um, yeah, it's hard, man. I did, 
Um, I did do like a little East Coast tour um, with a band that was working with uh, my same producer. Um, and it was, you know, everything your first tour should be was like a horrible, terrible experience, but also like wouldn't have traded it for the world. Um, <laughs> um, and it was like, you know, a lot of that. I, I thought maybe the problem was just, LA but it's it's everywhere it, it is everywhere and I'm with you let's let's stop making uh playing shows such a terrible experience for the bands because in order for me to even like um you know entertain an agent they have to see that I've played but me as an artist I, I am. I'm experiencing so much anxiety about going to play again and, and going through all of that crap with the talent buyers. Um, so I don't know. Here's hoping, here's hoping maybe during COVID they had like a come to Jesus when they can actually do their jobs. <laughs> Hope so because a coming out of COVID, like this should be, and I hate to make it sound so capitalist, but it is, like this should be the most lucrative time in live music that we've seen in the probably last 30 years. Like oh, yeah. everybody's dying to get out. Everybody wants to see live music. So like, can we just not put that pressure on artists? Like I've, I've thought that for a long time anyway. Um, you know, I was in high school bands and stuff like that. And like, we had to do it. And I, sure. In high school, I guess it makes sense because you expect me to sell it at school or whatever. Sure. But, yeah. like, for bands, I remember seeing like Bayside back in the day, like 2004, 2005, something like that at a local, you know, small venue. And like, they had to pre-sell tickets. And I'm like, especially looking at them now, like, why? What the fuck yeah. did you make them sell any tickets for? And yeah, it just, it's crazy. It, it to me is such a, a bullshit way for them to pawn off their job. Like your job, like I said, is to put together this ticket that, people want to come see. So why would you say, you know, it's a thousand cap room. Each artist has to sell a hundred tickets. Like if you can't bring in 500 people, like what the fuck are we doing here? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I don't know if this is elsewhere. Um, and it's starting to go away because people have been like, this is fucked up. We need to stop doing this. But um, when I first started playing shows out here, there were still a lot of those talent buyers that were saying, you not only have to pre-sell tickets, but if you don't sell the minimum, you have to pay for the tickets you don't sell. Like that's horrendously just exploitive and it's, it's terrible. It's horrible. Gotta stop doing it. Yeah. Especially to bands that like, don't do it to any bands period, but especially to bands that are just starting out, mm -hmm. you know, all their money isn't even coming from a split off that ticket. It's coming from merch. So now if I have to buy mm -hmm. the tickets that I didn't sell, any of the yep. merch that I sold goes to you. Now do I have gas and food money? Like I'm yep. already sleeping in the van. What, how much worse off can we put an artist? It, it just, it baffles me. Um, the probably one of my favorite shows I've ever played. Um, and it was, on that tour outside of LA, it was in Muncie, Indiana. Um, it was a little, um, venue like right next to their college. So it was like perfect. 
And there were so many people there. And I was like, wow, like LA should really take note from Muncie. Like what the hell? Um, yeah, very cool experience. It was really dope venue too. There was like an upstairs little balcony, um, and like people could like look down on where the performance. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool shit. Hey, Muncie's about 35 minutes away from me. So if you ever come oh, back, really? definitely yeah. I'll be there. Um, but no, like, you know, being from the Midwest, we get shit on all the time. So many tours skip over the Midwest and whatnot, because that's not where the big cities are, quote unquote. And like your major markets. Sure. I get that. You know, Chicago is considered a major market, but even then they get skipped over sometimes. And it's like, but what you all fail to understand is because it's so much about labels looking at actual purchases and hopefully sure. that's changing with streaming now, but like they'd look at album purchases and it's like, Oh, Indianapolis doesn't sell enough of your album. You're right. But every time we go play there, there's 4,000 people. So, yeah, you know, they're buying no, my merch I'll, and stuff. I'll tell you what, Indiana loves music. Um, I have a lot of people who listen to my music in Indianapolis, but I believe that's like one of my like top 20 Spotify cities, if I remember correctly. And you want to know where LA is on that list? It's like 54. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes I'm like, why am I even still here? Um, to be like really honest with you, <laughs> because I really don't think that my fans are here actually. So yeah, I might, I might have to actually go back east. Um, if I, if I want to play shows and not like cry after. <laughs> Definitely. Like I said, if you, if you hit the Midwest, I can yeah. guarantee we'll have people turn up. Um, yeah. but yeah, that, that's basically everything I've got for you. We're going to do, cool. uh, kind of two last things. So I just started doing this question. In fact, you're my first one that I'm doing this question with. Uh, so it's kind of twofold. So number one is if you wanted your listeners to listen to three artists that you're currently listening to, who are those three artists? And they can be big names or little names. Okay. And then the other side of that is if you could pick two artists to potentially be on the podcast with me, what two artists would you want that to happen for? Ooh. Um, okay. So artists I'm listening to currently, I'm listening to so much. Let me narrow it down. Um, Bishop Briggs. Are you familiar with her? She's amazing. Um, she's like, she's technically kind of big now, but like still under the radar enough, you know? Um, I love all the new stuff that St. Vincent's been putting out lately. Um, and a last one, listen to my homie, nice girl, nice girl. It's my friend, Liz very talented musician um does very like synthy almost like 80s inspired um pop rock music and then the next one who would i want you to interview you're such a good conversational interviewer um i feel like you would have a really good talk with bo burnham I feel like you, you. I feel like you would have a really good talk with Bo Burnham. Um, who else? Um, Davy Muse. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yep. <laughs> uh, since you since you brought up Bo, have you watched his new uh, of Netflix course. special? So right. good. And like <laughs> the the amount of talent that dude has, right? Like that was all like self-produced, self-recorded. Yep. It, it's insane the way this dude works. Yeah, I I have uh, him and I are like months apart in age. I have been um, a fan of his for a long time. Um, probably like my favorite live special of his is what I I had been before the special listening to that on you know whatever streaming and i think i even like have it still in itunes um forever but this it, it is just next level he he's just i really think um kind of a genius i think we should stop calling artists geniuses because i think it does like fuck with them um, but i do kind of think he is like i think he can do no wrong i think he's very hyper aware of himself I think he's very, um, again, like versatility is like a big thing for artists and he is, he can do it all. It's pretty crazy. And I've edited, I've edited my own music videos that are only what, like three and a half minutes long for him to like edit an hour long special himself. Woo, my goodness. Crazy. To go into a little bit with his like he is hyper aware of himself, but like he's also to me hyper aware of society. Like the dude oh, is yeah. incredibly talented at being able to identify societal issues, make them kind of funny, but still to the point where it's like, I know I'm joking, but we really need to fucking stop this. You know, like yeah, this isn't yeah. okay. Yeah, and I think I think there are people that maybe aren't super familiar with him who watched his special and didn't like it was lost on them that that part right there that you're talking about um because because i almost do think it's kind of a disservice to call him just a comedian he he's he's like he's a performance artist uh, you know and and there is a new wave of comedy i will say um where people are more willing to go a little darker. Um, and I think he is one of the people that sort of ushered that in. I think Tignataro is another one, you know, who's willing to get a little serious with their comedy because, because I think, I think comedians do tend to hide behind the laugh a lot and it is refreshing. Um, for somebody like Bo to say, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, the world is really fucked up and I'm going to talk about it. It's funny. You mentioned the, you know, kind of hiding behind the mask. I've done several episodes already, um, through this podcast around mental health and, and touched on it and things like that. And I'm starting the new one, but, uh, I, I yeah. started using a term. Yeah. I have started using this term called the Robin Williams mask because yeah. you know, when you think of Robin Williams, always making people laugh, always seemed happy. And then he commits suicide and it's like, yeah. he, he hid his pain behind mm -hmm. this laughter and this mask to make sure everybody else was happy, but nobody was checking on him. And I think you're right. That's where like Tig and, and Bo come in where 
I want to make people happy. I want to make them laugh, but there's some serious fucking issues we need to talk about. Yeah. And I got on Twitter shortly after watching it, um, which is always a mistake. Um, but I also wanted to just see, I wanted to see what people were saying. And there was a lot of people who I, who I do, you know, bless their hearts, think they weren't familiar with his, with his work being like, Oh my God, can we get a wellness check on Bo? And, um, and while I understand like that's coming from like a, a, a place of empathy and, um, compassion for somebody who just bared their entire soul about their own depression, um, <laughs> through a special to the world. Um, but I did have like a bit of like, if you're surprised, you haven't been paying attention. Like this isn't new for him. You know, I, I think, I think he, like all of us with, um, mental health struggles, he has his, his, good periods and he has his really dark periods and he just so happened to bless us with seeing a little window into one of his dark periods. And I think that's a gift. Like that's a, that was a freaking gift for me, for us as somebody who does struggle with depression. I, you know, I, I also saw like a lot of like memes and like, and like, yes, of course, like it was very emotional and there were things that, sure can absolutely be triggering to people everyone's different but for me personally um i felt seen like i was like wow like like this is this is something that he hasn't really done before he hasn't really bared it all like this before and it it was it was beautiful it was a beautiful thing to see i totally agree and you know i struggle with depression myself and so i i'm in the same boat as you where it's that at the end of it, it's a, I relate to him because I, you know, I've been in similar situations, maybe not the exact same, but you know, we can relate. And like, it, it is that visibility that, you know, he put out this, this project on Netflix for millions upon millions of people to see without fear. I'm sure there was some fear because he's human, of course. Yeah. but you know, quote unquote, without fear that, this is going to ruin me. He, he clearly doesn't care to some degree of this isn't going to ruin me. This is who I am. And it, like you said, if you've not been paying attention, yeah, then you're not someone I'm talking to. This is for those that, that can see what I'm doing. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I think it's what it's the, it's the closing song. It's, um, you know, it's that line of like, when I'm completely irrelevant and completely broke, call me and tell, tell me a joke. You know, that's, that's it. It's, it's, you know, Hey, this is what it is. Maybe, maybe I'll watch you <laughs> play to no one next time, but this is what it is. And I uh, hope you like it. If you don't though, fuck you. <laughs> you know? And I, I admire that. I admire that so much. He's, he's, I love the idea of him so much. I really do totally agree he's i think he's criminally underrated um he's i think it's because he's not mainstream comedy so many people just yeah. don't give him a shot and it's like mm -hmm. sit down for an hour two hours depending on how many of them you want to watch but like really give it a chance and mm -hmm. i think if if people go into it with an open mind and same is true for any music, especially when you're listening to a new artist, go into it with an open mind that 
this person is doing something that they're passionate about. What can yeah. I take away from it instead of what can I knock them about? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. He's, he's the best. He's the best. I really do. I have like so many warm and fuzzies. I'm glad we talked about Bo Burnham because I have so many warm and fuzzies about Bo Burnham. I just, I hope he keeps, I hope he keeps doing it forever. I hope he makes more films too because he's an amazing director as well. That's, again, you know, to touch on it briefly, like the amount of passion that went into that special, I, I don't know of anybody that's done that level. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, obviously, no. anyone that creates art is passionate about it. But like, to write the material, record the material, edit the material, produce it, like, this dude took everything on himself, and then went to Netflix and was like, here's my baby. Please yeah. be good. You know, I was so worried that they weren't going to put the songs uh, for us to listen to independently of the special too. Cause I was like itching. I was like, I need it. I was like, please, I need it. When he finally posted that he was up, I was like, thank God. I had that same worry. Cause you know, like big tech did Netflix write this contract that they are exclusive holders and stuff like well, that. We'll make happy. His last special isn't up um, to just listen to. And so, yes, I had the exact same thought. Like, oh, man, is he in a contract with and Netflix? You know, there are a lot of things coming out about Netflix just not treating artists well. And I was I was worried that this was an issue with Netflix. But Thankfully, they, they figured it out. And I did notice on Spotify, too, that it says that he, or at least it says that he's the publisher. So I hope he's getting all of the the royalties for that because he deserves it. Netflix should uh, keep their grimy hands off of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, Alexa, this has been a great conversation. Um, for the last couple minutes, however long it takes you, um, I'm obviously going to link all your socials and everything, but tell people where they can find you and kind of what to expect when it does come to social media for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, pretty much everywhere I'm at Plexiglass. Um, that's P-L-E-X-X-A Glass. Um, except for Facebook, it's like Plexiglass Music or something like that. Um, I am an infrequent feed poster. I'll only post on Instagram if um, there's something coming up. Um, TikTok is actually really where I'm like the most personable um, because I feel like I've built a little family over there. So if you're on the clock app, definitely follow me. And I do like impromptu little like lives on TikTok every now and then too. And I just sort of talk to people. I'll like play a song, but I've actually noticed that people kind of just like talking to me on lives. It's really weird. At first I was utilizing it to sort of do like, you know, virtual shows. And I noticed that people were more inclined to actually like stay if I was literally just talking like you and I are right now, which is um, really interesting and cool. It's flattering that people just want to talk to me. Um, so I would definitely say that TikTok is where it's at for me. Promote it as much as we can. Uh, again, I appreciate your time. And um, yeah, looking forward to the new music. 
looking forward to you getting on tour, hopefully, um, yeah, ideally in Indiana so that we can uh, meet up and you sure know, I'll do some photography for you and we'll do one of these yeah. live and in person. Um, but yeah, l- let's see what the rest of the year has. You know, like I said earlier, I think I hate to make it a capitalist thing, but I really think we're in this kind of almost golden age of music now where it's going to be so saturated, but also so lucrative for when people are able to get out. Yeah, totally. People need it. They really, really need it right now. All right. Thank you. This was awesome. This is like one of the best interviews I've ever had. It's awesome. I appreciate that. I'll let you know when it all goes live and everything. And um, yeah, like I said, looking forward to everything. Cool. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. And that was my conversation with Alexa, better known as Plexiglass. Um, as always, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Um, had a great time talking with them. Um, it's very refreshing to have someone that is just really trying to shape their own kind of their own sound and not really be defined by so many of the quote-unquote mainstream genres and things like that. Um, Really looking forward to the new music and the tours and things like that. You know, we're all crossing our fingers and, and hoping that live music's coming back strong and that we're going to be able to and allowed to have these concerts and events and tours and things like that. And like I said there towards the end of the conversation, you know, I, I really feel like we're coming into this next golden age of music where fans are, are hungry for live music. They're excited for it. You know, we've been missing it for a year now. Um, For some artists, they didn't even get to start a tour last year before COVID started. So it may be two or three years since some of these bands have been out on the road. And it's it's really unfortunate because obviously that's where a lot of their money comes from and their support and things like that. And obviously, you know, we all understand why concerts were quote-unquote taken away and things like that but at the same time you know just because we understand it doesn't mean we're happy about it um and i think that as shows begin to really gain traction and get back out again fans are just they're gonna be there um and i hope that if you're a fan and you're hesitant about going to a show obviously your safety matters the most and, you know, nobody wants you to put yourself in a position where your immune system is compromised or anything like that. You know, if that's a concern, then obviously be safe. But if you're able and and willing to get out to see shows, do it. These artists have missed that live interaction just as much if not more than the fans have. So, you know, I, I really think that it's going to be big. Uh, the next six months to 
you know, rolling into 2022, it's going to be huge. So really excited to see what, what's happening. Um, that's everything I've got for you guys this week. So again, thank you to Alexa so much for taking the time to talk with me. Um, again, just really appreciate it. Uh, obviously we connected over her music and whatnot, but the love of, of Bo Burnham and just the genius of his artistry and things like that. And it was just such a fun conversation. Um, yeah, let us know what you thought of this episode in the comments on our Instagram or our Facebook page. Uh, be sure you like subscribe, follow the podcast, uh, share it with your friends and things like that. You know, we're definitely growing and, and want to have as many people kind of able to see what we're doing and provide input and things like that. And hopefully, you know, we'll get more and more artists that you guys want to hear from, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that, but I know there's some genres we haven't really touched in too much. So, uh, you know, I can say that we're working on some stuff. Uh, it's still pretty secretive right now, but there's definitely some, some stuff in the works. So, um, for now, let's take you out with DYD by Plexiglass. Remember guys, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene. Reaching for, reaching for a